This week on Myths and Legends, it's a story from Finnish folklore about an 800-year-old home improvement project, and you'll see why you should check out your crawl space every once in a while, because it might include stuff like chair legs, rat bits, and, oh yeah, massive piles of treasure. The creature this week is that headless woman who just wants a ride home, or the drunk ravings of some guys who had a few too many. This is Myths and Legends, episode 298, Footsteps in the Dark. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's episode is based on a fairy tale from Finland in 1849. It's the story of the Tom Ten of Ubu Castle, by Zachris Topelius. He was 30 years old when this tale was first published, and though many years have passed, it seems the story has remained relevant. A visit to Ubu Castle, or Toroku Castle, you might say today, means a visit to a popular museum in Finland, maintained after all this time. And after today, you'll see why. Without a doubt, it was here. She could feel it. Well, almost feel it. Mainly because the treasure was yet to be found, but she was close, yes, very close. As the town gossip, she prided how quickly she worked the party upstairs, mingling just enough to piece together the full story. Then, while the others drank, she ventured down to the basement. Sure enough, a hole in the corner opened wide. Past the cobwebs and the mossy bricks, a tunnel stretched to an even darker abyss. And somehow, fear never played a role. Not when the stench overtook all of her senses. Not when the air grew thin, as though it were running out. Not even when she paused and two footsteps lagged behind. It was her heartbeat, she believed, on account of overexerting herself, All this crawling around in the dark made for labored breathing. But it would be worth it when all that hidden treasure belonged to her. The faint candle in her hand illuminated three doors. She had arrived. A voice from the party replied in her mind. Don't be fooled. It's the first door you want. With a smile, she gripped the handle on the left and pulled back. Gold, silver, and jewels of Every color filled the room beyond, their beauty and shine prompting a step backward. Only, it wasn't the treasure that pushed her back. The treasure was merely the last thing she saw. Seven hundred years is arguably a long time for anyone, certainly for any human. But even among all the Tom Ten in existence, seven hundred years was old, the oldest, and so he had seen the most. He was, of course, a gnome. More accurately, a Tom Ten, the Tom Ten of Ubu Castle. And today, he was scheduled to visit a longtime friend, the Tom Ten of a neighboring cathedral. He plucked a rat leg from his beard and scrutinized his reflection in the mirror. 
their two homes, his the castle dungeon, and his friends the wine cellar of the cathedral were connected by an ancient underground tunnel, a tunnel that they each used every 20 years to visit the other. In this way, he saw his friend every 10 years, and this was the year he was going to the cathedral, which was why he stood grooming his beard, you know, pulling rat legs out of it, really looking fancy. Satisfied, the town ten of Ubu Castle removed his lambskin hat, punched it right side out once more, and returned it to his head. His head that was no longer there. Now, this wasn't gross or anything, like it wasn't a headless body roaming around with 700 years of body odor, although body odor was absolutely an issue, seeing as how this guy never showered and lived in a dungeon filled with dirt, debris, mold and mildew, no airflow, no natural light, dripping water, and quote, rat-eaten books with no covers, and puddles, whose contents had matured for hundreds of years. That, of course, in addition to all of his broken chair legs, mismatched gloves and boots, and pipe stems without any mouthpieces. Personally, I don't see a problem with half that stuff, but the other half more than makes up for it. Anyway, before I got distracted, my point was that this was not a headless body, because the Tom Ten's whole self, head to toe, had become invisible. It was his natural state to be invisible, unless his lambskin hat was inside out. Then, and only then, was the Tom Ten visible to humans. On the way to the crumbling tunnel, softness brushed against the Tom Ten's leg, and a low vibration rumbled at his feet. It was myrrh, or rather a myrrh purr. He gave the cat some chinnies, said goodbye, and disappeared into the tunnel. Heaven forbid he be late when his friend had been waiting 20 years. Hot potato was out, musket balls were in. It was all the rage and made for a thrilling game of literal life and death. Best of all, Mats Mersden, age 12, knew exactly where to get them. Uabu Castle. He had snuck out of mass that morning, scurried through the fields to the old castle, and wound his way to the basement. It was a well-oiled routine by now, which was why, on this of many occasions, he was on his hands and knees in the corner, behind a row of boxes, searching for rollaways. He hadn't found any musket balls, but he had come across something even better. A hole, the entrance to a dark tunnel. Naturally, he must know where it went, so he'd set off, crawling into the unknown. Unfortunately, it became obvious that the tunnel was not rated for human use. It had begun caving in behind him almost immediately. There was no option but to continue. Unfortunately, again, the tunnel had collapsed in front of him, and now he was stuck. Nobody knew where he was. Panic set in quickly, then reason. Right, he should be conserving air, but then wouldn't that just delay the inevitable and make it worse? The idea of extending his torture sent him swirling into even greater panic than before. The voice had come after the boy's second wave of distress. By then, his breath was shallow his body curled against the rocks. Hold my boot. Uh, what? Hold my boot. It was the situation we're all warned about, but we never think will happen to us. A stranger asks you to hold their boot. It's, I mean, it's right there between don't take candy from strangers and don't get in a stranger's car. Don't hold strangers' boots. Matt's had felt like it was wrong, but 
what else was he going to do? He blinked, and he was somewhere else, and suddenly, Mats Merston, age 12, was trying to explain to the bishop and the other priests why he was standing half inside the wine cellar of the cathedral, in the chapel, interrupting mass. So see, he wasn't trying to be a problem. How was he supposed to know where the trap door opened? Also, who puts a trap door to a wine cellar right by the clergy in the choir? Oh, no, Matt's trailed off. It, he got it. It looked like the bishop wanted to laugh, but something about it being in the middle of the service held him back. The bishop motioned to a door to the side, and Matt's was more than happy to escape. For the next several years, Mats Merston felt it was his personal duty to maintain the castle in good working order. He figured he owed the castle his life and toiled each day to repay his debt. On his 30th birthday, Mats became the castle's official chief warder. This was his position for the next 50 years until he retired. At 80 years of age, Mats passed the torch of chief warder to his own granddaughter's husband, Anders Tegelston. And then, in perfect retirement fashion, Matt's kept his finger in the pot and continued to care for the castle as much as he could. It was a beautiful sight for the Tom Ten of Uabu Castle. At 780 years himself, he had spent the last 68 watching and helping Matt's in his duties, though always unseen and unheard. When Matt's washed the windows, the Tom Ten cleaned the gutters. When Matt's swept a room, the Tom Ten cleared the rafters. It was beautiful to have found someone with the Tom Ten's same level of passion for the castle. And truthfully, the place had never looked better. This was why the Tom Ten had decided to do it. Beaming, he lifted his lambskin hat, punched it inside out, and placed it back on his now visible head. Boo. In hindsight, sure, it was not the best choice of words to surprise an 80-year-old man, but he caught Matt's just before he hit the floor, and now they were all good. They were a team. They were friends. Because that's what friends do. They watch a person for 68 years before revealing themselves. My only human friend, the Tom Ten told Matt's. One day, as they tackled the West Wing, you're different, and I like that. Matt's grinned. The Tom Ten was different too, and he was mostly used to that by now. The Tom Ten was a gnome thing. Uh, it kind of leaned toward the dark side, but it was not mean or evil. He was really nice to Matt's. It was just that any talk of the cathedral or God or those sorts of things always seemed to make the Tom Ten unsettled. So instead, the Tom Ten frequently dominated the conversation with the stories of all the former royals and events that passed within the walls. Many of the names Matt's recognized from history lessons before he dropped out of school to care for the castle but the way the Tom Ten spoke with liveliness and from first-hand experience, it made all that boring history stuff, I don't know, accessible. And it was great. Honestly, Matt's could have left the castle, the story tells us, to become a history professor. From the Tom Ten talks, he knew more about Finnish history than the people at the university. It was amazing that the Tom Ten had been here this whole time, watching and studying for generations. Ooh, and don't forget collecting. I am always collecting. Of course, this was the Tom Ten's biggest pride. Call it stealing or call it saving. He didn't care. 
The Tom 10 had helped himself to all sorts of things when the castle had been under siege, burned, flooded, and more. It accounted for the piles of chair legs, the pipes and the debris in his dungeon sweet dungeon, but it also meant that Tom 10 had stockpiled an impressive treasure, a whole room full of treasure, silver, gold, jewels of every color, the kind of treasure humans like to have. Of course, that was it. Matt's it. Matt's had to come over, or rather down. Come down to my dungeon and I'll show you my treasure. It'll be great. Friend, the Tom 10 clutched his hands beneath his chin and let his eyes go big like a kitten's. You know, the kind you can't resist, especially when it comes from an evil gnome. How could Matt's refuse? Really, he couldn't, even aside from the eyes, because the Tom 10 was kind of scary. Sure, let's... Let's go, yeah, let's do it. So gross. Cute. I mean, cute. Mats could hardly spit out the words because he could barely suck in the air. Dismembered rats, mold and mildew, tons of unmentionable sources of stench. The Tomton looked concerned. It, it, it was fine. It's just the miasma. I decorated this whole place myself, you know. Not every Tomton can say that. Matt sputtered, not wanting to disappoint his friend. What I meant to say was, oh, my asthma, yeah, my asthma's flaring up. I just need to get to my inhaler soon, you know, the where I inhale air that doesn't smell like dead rats. Satisfied, the Tom 10 continued on, but when something brushed against Matt's leg in the dark, they had to stop again. I see you found myrrh. The Tom 10 presented his cat with pride, explaining how the cat's eyes were like flashlights down here. And if you didn't know, cat's eyes work like little reflectors in the dark, but in this story, they are literally flashlights. The Tom 10 has a cat flashlight, which would make those 5 a.m. wake-ups of a cat standing on your chest telling you it wants to be fed that much more annoying. The cat was also the Tom 10's protector on account of its anger issues. And then Matt's withdrew his hand. Right, don't pet the flashlight cat. Got it. He took one last look around and thanked the Tom 10 for having him over. He should probably get back upstairs. Window Wednesday, you know, his pains are a pain. <laughs> but when Matt's pivoted to leave, the Tom 10 was suddenly blocking the exit, ushering Matt's further into the darkness. Before he knew it, Matt's was riding the Tom 10's shoulders, descending further into the abyss. And then, there they were. Three doors. They'd arrived. The Tom 10 sidled up to the first door and flung it open. Gold, silver, jewels grander than any rainbow glimmered from within. And Matt's gasped. He gasped, but did not move. And that seemed to please the Tom 10. For 700 plus years, the Tom 10 had protected the treasure. No one had stolen it, though many had tried. Murr the cat turned her eyes to the second door, as the Tom 10 took one last look at his treasure and moved on. Behind door number two was... Darkness? Darkness in the howling of hundreds of wolves and clanking chains. Really, it was an incredible feat of soundproofing, possibly the first anechoic chamber. Wrong, the Tom 10 said. It's where the humans go when I catch them trying to steal my treasure. So be careful, Mats. Do not ever steal from me or jeopardize my treasure. But I don't have to say any of that to you, do I? Because you're different. 
All Mats could do was nod and stare. His friend sent humans in there to be torn to pieces? The Tom Ten smile flickered. Uh, sort of. But it's best you never find out. With that, the Tom Ten invited Mats back onto his shoulders. But wait, what about door number three? It was the only one they hadn't covered. And it would stay that way, the Tom Ten explained. Because behind door number three, the only one made of iron was the Vanamoinian, surrounded by his warriors, quote, sitting on the womb of the earth. They were waiting for the end of the world, which would be signaled when the Vanamoinian's beard grew long enough to stretch around the perimeter of his whole table. But because they were all sitting around waiting for hair to grow, the warriors often fell asleep, and the bearded man, who was even older than the Tom Ten, would occasionally sing his Kentel song to wake them up. Come, I have one last thing to show you, said the Tom Ten, bending to one knee so Mats could climb aboard. They returned to the dungeon above, and there, Mats found himself holding a tankard of beer. It was the fullest, darkest beer, and the cup itself was exquisite, as it should be, seeing as how it was Duke Johann's Finnish ale poured in his best cup. Keep it, the Tom Ten urged. He had hundreds just like it. But remember, tell no one. Thoughts of snarling wolves behind door number two made Matt's shudder. And he promised. Within the hour, Matt's was drunk and feeling pretty loose. So loose that he had just invited the Tom Ten to his great-granddaughter's wedding the following day. Rosa was marrying Robert Flinta a warrant officer, in line to become a general. The ceremony was to be here, upstairs, in Uabu Castle. The Tom Ten raised his glass with a smile. He would be delighted. We'll see something come between Mats and the Tom Ten, but that will be right after this. At Myths and Legends, we believe home should be where you and your family feel safest, especially over the holidays. This season, give yourself and your family the gift of peace and protection with the number one rated home security system, Simply Safe. And right now, Simply Safe is offering Myths and Legends listeners 40% off a new security system. But don't put this off. Here's why I love it. Thanks to all the sensors and cameras, we no longer have to worry about the butter cat coming in and messing with our stuff. That's been very nice. Those HD cameras also mean we'll know if there's a hide behind making a run for it in the backyard. Also good. You know, a security system is a necessity, and Simply Safe is the easiest and most flexible system we've found, and that's why we use it. For under a dollar a day, we have 24-7 professional monitoring, their top-rated app gives us complete control, and so much more. It's why Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System of 2022 by U.S. News and World Report a third year in a row. Don't miss your chance for massive savings on my favorite security system. Get 40% off any new system at simplysafe.com/legends. That's simplysafe.com/legends. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Gifting is hard. Bombas makes it easy with socks, underwear, and t-shirts that feel good and do good. They feel good because they're thoughtfully designed with the softest materials. And they do good because for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone in need. Yeah, even our pickiest friends and family members love Bombas for the holidays. It's the quality and fit. It makes for a thoughtful gift that people need and want. Whether you give them Bombas socks, underwear, t-shirts, or slippers, these are cozy upgrades to everyday basics. 
just don't forget about yourself. I think the best combo is a family set. You can't go wrong with the Bombas Holiday Collection, but say you want something for year-round. You've got options, all with premium materials like Pima Cotton, ultra-soft merino wool, fuzzy Sherpa linings in their slippers. So far, Bombas has donated over 75 million items of clothing. That is a whole lot of comfort and a whole lot of good. Give the good this holiday season with Bombas. Go to bombas.com slash legends and use code legends for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash legends. Code legends for 20% off. Bombas.com slash legends. Code legends. Killian Grip. He was Robert Flinta's cousin. And yes, Killian Grip does sound like the name of a bad guy from an 80s movie. And today he would watch Robert marry Rosa. She was lovely, just great. Killian was totally into her like personality and interests, whatever those were, but completely unrelated, she had a massive inheritance. It was why Killian had tried to impress Rosa had wanted to be the one standing next to the priest saying, I do, but instead it was his cousin, Robert, who was not a general. He made sure to tell everyone at the reception, will be isn't is, so for now he's not, and until it happens, it might as well be a won't be, he said over another glass of wine. He was not mad. Fewer and fewer guests were willing to lend him an ear by now. A wide circle of emptiness had settled around Killian Grip, and he was bitter mainly because his mom, Sarah, had promised to work her magic and pull some strings to cut out Robert Flinta from the equation. But he and his mother had been too slow. He was a scrunched face among a sea of smiles. Well, except for that one. Old man Matt's Mersden looked antsy in the corner, and Killian drew to him like a magnet. The old man was mumbling to himself about the decor, the blooming roses, the fixed windows, the place sitting fit for a princess. It was a perfect surprise. And then he said something of interest. Matt's Merston was relieved, not because the wedding had turned out beautiful or the venue impeccable, but because he hadn't showed his face. This mysterious he had decked the halls to the nines overnight, but in the end, chose not to reveal himself to the humans. It would have scared them, he was right small request, anything. Of course, take as many biscuits as you like. And definitely one for Murr the cat. Oh, really? She only eats every 50 years? That doesn't feel like good cat ownership, but whatever. Matt's breathed a sigh of relief and seemed to wave goodbye to someone. Only there wasn't anyone else there, just Killian Grip, standing off to the left, rubbing his eyes and wondering exactly how many drinks had he had so far. Or... Had Matt's finally gone crazy, Matt's Merston brushed past Killian and addressed the crowd with a raised glass. The guests followed suit. To the happy couple! And all echoed it back. At the last word, all the glasses in the great hall filled on their own. It was astonishing, and Matt's smiled. Even the bride, Rosa, would have been amazed. Had she not been distracted by the glittering gold crown bejeweled on all sides, that materialized from thin air. The crown floated onto her head to outrageous applause. This was the most magical and costly wedding of the century. That was what Killian's mother, Aunt Sarah, kept saying to Matt's. As the former chief warder of the castle, 
and the main reason why his great-granddaughter's wedding took place here today, Matt's must have been involved with the planning, the setup. That was an amazing crown. But where did he get it? Did he find it here in the castle? If he did, it belongs to the authorities, you know. Aunt Sarah was getting all worked up. Her wonder and jealousy were turning into accusations. And now her flailing arms were starting to cause a scene. Matt's lost his smile. He couldn't see why the crown was any of Sarah's business, but the woman had a comeback at the ready. Her nephew, Robert, had married Rosa. She was only looking out for her nephew's new wife. Now Matt's, after so much of the good Tom Ten wine, couldn't see what was happening. He was never one for arguing, but doing. Not trying to get his own way, but caring about the people in the castle. He couldn't tell that this was a tactic. Sarah so overwhelmed him that soon it seemed more prudent to explain a little about what was happening. In a time when you could be declared a criminal for hunting the king's deer because the the king owned all the forests, Matz didn't want people launching an investigation and delving into the castle. Then, the Tom Ten would truly be revealed. With a grunt, Matz pulled Sarah's arm, leading her to a side room. And there, in private, Matz told her everything. The musket balls, the magic of the castle, the Tom Ten, the Tom Ten's treasure. She could see that it wasn't stealing. It was the lost crown from the hoard of a long-dead monarch or noble. It was more than Matz was supposed to say and more than Sarah hoped to hear. And it was glorious. Even more so than that glittering gold crown. Killian Grip wasted no time. Aunt Sarah had danced over, whispering something unbelievable in his ear. And now here they were, walking behind a lantern in the dungeon of Ubu Castle. The air had grown musty and thin, the sounds of footsteps overtaking any music drifting from upstairs. He was not supposed to be here, but Matt's Merston had let it slip. There was a treasure down here, behind a door, and it was about to be his. You mean about to be ours, Aunt Sarah said from the darkness. Killian shifted the lantern to the other hand. Yeah, that's what I said. Now stop breathing on my neck. You're freaking me out. The two fell into bickering as they slid into an opening in the dungeon floor. It was just as Matt's had said. Three doors in an open room. But all at once, a draft swirled around them and the lantern blew out, taking with it any view of their surroundings. For a moment, neither of them moved. And then, from the nothingness, two lights blinked. Faintly at first, then brighter. It was a pair of eyes. Cat eyes. It was myrrh. Aunt Sarah was the first to relax. Oh, it was a cat. Oh, you want some chinnies? Yeah, come get your chinnies. The cat tiptoed closer, sniffing, and then swung a paw scratching open the side of Sarah's hand. She recoiled, but Killian still managed to dip behind her, bravely cowering behind his human shield, safe from the 12-pound cat that scratched, sometimes. Pulses raced, and they watched the cat saunter several feet away and sit. But what to do? Both still wanted the treasure, but both were afraid to take the lead. Just then, a rumble shook the room, sending rocks tumbling from above. The exit was blocked. They were trapped. 
Killian stood and nudged his aunt. Well, there was only one way forward now. Feigning confidence, he strode to the front and face-planted into a wall. A wall with red eyes? It was the Tom Ten. Only even Matt's Merston might not recognize him at the moment. His eyes glared like hot coals, his garments flowed as though in a windstorm, and his craggy mass was sharp and fearsome. He was angry. The intruders were here to steal his treasure, and they would pay for it with their lives. Before their eyes, the Tom Ten disappeared. Door number two opened, and the sound of snarling wolves straining at chains filled the room, and a force pushed them, even though they fought every step of the way, closer and closer into the darkness. Killian and Sarah were screaming, begging the monster not to kill them. But that's because they misunderstood that Tompton wasn't a murderer. Life was too short, anyway. Yes, even his, to be like that. No, he had something worse in mind. They would simply stay here, below the dungeon, forever. They would live until their human lives were naturally spent, and they would live on transformed. For Aunt Sarah, she would be made into a cat. Yes, you got it. Just like Myrrh here, she was like you once, about 500 years ago. A gossip with a greedy heart who came to steal my treasure. Yes, that's you, Myrrh, that's you. You and Myrrh will both be my protectors. Killian embraced his sobbing aunt, and what of him? Well, for Killian, he could have been a good watchdog, the first the Tom Ten ever had, but because he had been so greedy, he would have to become a wolf like the others. Horror spread across Killian's face. Oh, did he think he wasn't the only one to go after the treasure? But again, the Tom Ten was not a murderer. So Killian would live, that was unless the wolves got to him before his time. They're very hungry. Killian might have pointed out that locking someone in a room full of hungry wolves was, by any definition of the word, murder, but he was too overwhelmed by the thought of being locked in a room full of a dozen hungry wolves. It was too much for Killian, and he lunged at the Tomten, fingers searching for the creature's eyes. He had underestimated the cat, however, the Tom Ten's protector, and Murr leapt into the air and took a bite out of Killian's neck. He stumbled, hands pressing on the wound and blood flowing down his clothes, and fell backward into the open doorway. The Tom Ten looked amused, and nothing more. Well, off you go then. Goodbye. And with that, door number two closed, stifling the wolves and screams alike. We'll see the fallout of Matt's loose lips, but that will, once again, be right after this. This is a wonderful time of year, a time when it's also good to stop and relax. And with Best Fiends, it's easy to step away from the busyness and escape to your own little winter wonderland, especially because this one is all fun and games no matter where you are. Best Fiends is a good option for us because it's easy to pick up and play a few levels whenever there's a break. 
It's like a burst of color and energy packed into an adventure puzzle. It's awesome. I'm starting level 448 this week, and if you play, you know how exciting it feels to win that next level or rise in the new challenge or discover a new fiend. It's always at your fingertips, too, whether you have an internet connection or not. Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of levels and new challenges every time you play. So you want to level up your fiends and defeat those menacing slugs, which I have been foiled many times by their slime, so watch out. (laughs) You can also customize your team, and then there's always extra challenges popping up. I say, wherever you go this holiday season, bring a little Wonderland with you. Go to the App Store or Google Play to download Best Fiends for free. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Matt's Mersden's headache wore off slowly the following morning, and with it came clarity and realization he had said too much about his friend. And the Tomten was mad. He'd wondered at first, maybe the Tomten had left and wasn't aware of his looseness, but then he saw Rosa's beautiful crown turned into a ring of iron. Her dismay over the rotting blooms of her bouquet, and he knew he had made a horrible mistake. Rosa and the rest of the family had hung their heads, assuming Matt's had lost his mind. Told a secret, what secret? What was he even talking about? One by one, they wrote him off. It was a beautiful wedding, but now it was time to return to regular life. Crown or not. For the next two years, Matt's moped about the castle. Only now, there was no Windows Wednesdays, no fun stories while he worked no help from the Tomten throughout the day. Matt's tried to visit the Tomten to apologize, but the hole in the dungeon floor was filled. It was rubble now. Something had collapsed and filled it in. There was no way for him to seek the Tomten, and the Tomten? He no longer watered the gardens, swept the floors overnight, fixed what was broken, or straightened what was out of place. Soon, Uubu Castle had fallen into disrepair, and even what Matt's would fix would always be broken again the next day. It was like a spirit of destruction and desolation fell over the estate. The only one who ever came to see Matt's these days was Rosa, and even her visits had become less frequent. But she was here today, and offered to walk Matt's to the West Room for some fresh air. It would be good for both her great-grandfather and little Eric, her son. The room was circular, with views stretching across the river and that made it the best room of all. Matt's had spent decades in this room, had restored it at one point to its former glory, but you'd never know it. A warm breeze swept by and through the window, and Matt's closed his eyes. What he wouldn't give to save Uobu Castle, for Eric to grow up knowing all that it could be, Matt's had dedicated his life to fixing up the castle, and he realized, in that moment, that he would gladly give up his life to restore it once more. That was enough. Next to him, a figure appeared wearing a lambskin hat turned inside out. The Tomten had returned. He no longer lived in the dungeon, he shared. Something about a Sarah talking too much? It was obvious both friends had aged and changed. Matz was nearing the end of his days, but the Tomten had at least a couple centuries to go. 
The old man's beard behind door number three still had an inch or two, and the Tom Ten would live until the end of the world. Which is why your soul is no use to me, the Tom Ten said. He turned to the young child in the baby carriage, to Eric. His life, however, 70 or 80 years as my servant, would do the trick. Rosa stepped forward in front of Eric. First, what was going on? Second, no. Tell him, Mats, no deal. Mats? The castle, the child, the child, the castle. Mats, tell him no. Mats snapped too and shook his head. The answer was no. It sent the Tom Ten reeling into a rant about the problem with humans. He got so into it that he swung a fist at the very end, punching straight through the wall of the western room. No one said a word as the dust and stones settled. What would happen next? Then, to their horror, the Tom Ten screeched and took to the wall again, beating at the stone until chunks of rock began to crumble and fall. With every blast, his frame grew until he had tripled in height and towered over the others. He was so angry, he was going to bring down the entire castle. Mats shouted with tears running down his cheeks while Rosa sheltered her son from the chaos and the noise and the rubble. And then something changed. A song wafted in from the door, from the floor and through the air. A low rumble that soon became a dizzying rhythm that shook the room, that shook one's very core. It was the Vanamoinen bellowing for Finland's future glory. The Tom Ten left the wall, drawn to the center of the western room. Listening and swaying, he weeps, but already, sadness has begun to leave his song. It was a beautiful, soulful melody, the kind that makes you feel something in your bones. When it was over, the Tom Ten was again frail, diminutive, even against the body beside him. The body of Mats, lying curled up on the floor. The Tom Ten released his long sigh. It was wrong of him. It was wrong of him to demand so much of Mats. To reveal a world that churned beneath their feet and yet demand Mats never reveal it, and to also endlessly fill up everyone's wine glasses that same night, that, that was an oversight. In truth, though, Mats had been a good friend to him all these years. And friendship is not just trust, but also forgiveness. The Tom Ten forgave Mats. The Tom Ten sat down next to the body of his friend, Mats Merston, to rest together one last time like they had for years when they were keeping up with the castle. Rosa gasped and glared. Why? What happened? What did you do? Not me. The song. It's the melody of the new, not the old. It's why you and Eric live while he does not. The world was for the new. His job and Matt's had been to care for them, teach them in their time, turn people into cats and wolves when they were evil or annoying, and prepare them to take their place. After a moment, the Tom Ten stood and hefted a stone up and back into its place on the wall. Then another. He continued. He would care for this castle for 500 years. 
That's what Mats had wanted. That was all the Tom 10 had left, and he would use it well. The sight moved Rosa, and she came up beside the Tom 10, placing a hand atop his. She would help as well, and her son, Eric, after her, for Mats. In that way, Eric sort of ended up being the Tom 10 servant, just like the Tom 10 wanted, but at that moment, all anyone was thinking about was how beautiful the castle could be, how it would be, how it actually is still today. The castle is a real place. It's one of the largest medieval buildings in Finland, and how has it survived all this time? Well, now you know. Ubu Castle truly has stood the test of time. While it's a museum these days and no longer an administrative focal point, it's said that the tale of the Tom Ten inspired people to take care of the castle and restore it to what it is today. The western side is particularly iconic. And we always like tales that have such a firm grounding in the real world. Whether there's a real Tom Ten living there or not, well, that's up to you. I don't know if they have a dungeon. I wouldn't go there looking for treasure, unless you want to live out your natural life avoiding wolves before being turned into one or get turned into a cat, which might not be so bad. Oh, and if you're interested, I linked to an interesting tour of Ubu Castle on the show post on the website. If you'd like to support the show, remember there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a crazy cat lady action figure that, yes, comes with six cat figurines, which, wow, we are halfway there ourselves, you can get ad-free versions of the show and bonus episodes that also give you something to talk about with family and friends this holiday season, but don't need a litter box. And for those who use Apple Podcasts, we now have Myths and Legends Plus, which gives you ad-free and bonus episodes with direct sign-up through Apple Podcasts. It's super easy. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com slash membership. The creature this time is the Pillion Lady and the Headless Woman from Lancashire in England. After transacting a day's business and passing some mirthful hours with a number of jovial young fellows at the best parlor, which is the 1800s way of saying he drank all afternoon and evening, a man made the not responsible decision of getting on his horse and riding home. If you were wondering, as of 1872, it's illegal in the UK and there are laws against drinking and horse driving in about a quarter of the US states. Don't do it because it's dangerous, but also don't do it because of faceless women jumping on the back of your horse. Yeah, about halfway home, the man felt a thud and heard a laugh, and he turned to see that he had another rider. She was wearing a dress, but underneath her hood was only skull, with a few bits of rotting flesh still clinging to it. The man felt the woman's arms cinch around his waist. He was surprised by that, for some reason, that they were skeleton arms. Anyway, the horse was not having any of it, and shot off in a panic gallop. Eventually, it threw both riders, and the man woke up on his lawn the next day. We don't know much about the Pillion Woman, what her motivations are, or her origin. And the man, the inebriated rider, who got a concussion and passed out until morning, surprisingly, was not believed by his friends. He wasn't the only guy to get loaded and see a ghost, though. The most famous story is that of Gabriel Fisher. The story tells us he strode off manfully with a dog by his side. This was, once again, after several hours of drinking, 
so it was probably less of a stride and more of a stagger at that point. Anyway, he heard a scream in a field, and like every horror movie tells us not to do, went to go investigate. There, he found a young woman walking. He couldn't see her under her cottager's cloak and bonnet, but she walked through the field carrying a basket, and he asked her if she needed help. She didn't, but when Gabriel walked off, the woman followed. He was annoyed, but polite, and asked if there was anything she needed. He could carry her basket. In the darkness, she accepted and handed it over. She told him he was very kind indeed, but the voice didn't come from the figure. It came from the basket. The man moved the sheet and found inside the young woman's head. The woman's empty bonnet fluttered to the ground, revealing that, yes, she had no head. Gabriel ran as fast as he could for miles, but the headless woman kept up. She would throw her head at him trying to slow him, and it would cackle as he ran past. He finally made it home and crashed through his front door. He was safe. He told his wife, and she just shrugged. She didn't have any sympathy. And if the headless woman made him appreciate his own home, well, she said it was more than a woman with a head on her shoulders had ever been able to do. Good night. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.